Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our Fantasy File Series with a look at these Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers. Fun day on Twitter as I'm recording this. We got Jameis Winston adding to his treasure chest of just hilariously random drills that I'm not even sure make him a better quarterback, but I enjoy it. Does him anyway. NFL's version of Tony Ferguson and that, but we're putting that aside for a second, focusing on the Steelers offense. So I get it, people. Steelers fans, if you're listening to this, was not a good year last year. You started off 11 and 0, and then my employer said it was the worst 11 and 0 football team ever, which is a weird oxymoron kind of insult compliment type thing whatever you want to call it they immediately fell apart after that one in six or one in five excuse me down the stretch and the offense just fell off a cliff so i just want to point out that as bad as things got at the end of the year this wasn't an atrocious team from the beginning you don't go 11 to 0 by accident and this they did score enough points during the first three months of the year to still finish with the league's 12th ranked scoring offense when everything was all said and done even at the end of the year i mean they put up 28 points at the against the colts 37 against the Browns in that shit show of a wild card game. I mean, 48 to 37 first play of the game. They're giving up a touchdown on a fumbled snap, just one mistake after another. And they still managed to at least put up 550 yards of offense. Wasn't pretty, but in fancy, as I've said, we don't exactly get rewarded for style points. We'll take it as they come. So I get it. You know, 17 points against Washington, 15 against Buffalo, 17 against the Cincinnati Bengals for crying out loud. We saw plenty of low points from this offense. I'm just saying, I don't think it's necessarily fair to just assume that they're going to be that bad going into 2021. Like we're not taking the Seahawks similarly dismal end of the season run and projecting that to happen ahead of next year. We just need to be careful about exactly who we're anticipating kind of overcoming what could again be a bad offense in 2021 for the Steelers. So with that in mind, want to go through each of these three wide receivers and try to focus on who we should be uh, putting most of our fantasy football resources to, because last year that we did have three high end fantasy receivers, despite this being, you know, we'll say a mediocre offense generally throughout the year. Juju was the PPR wide receiver, 16 Deontay Johnson was the wide receiver, 21 chase Claypool wide receiver, 22. Did they benefit from volume? Absolutely. And that's the game we play in fantasy land. And no one benefited more than Deontay Johnson, just on sheer volume. Targets in the regular season, only Stefan Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson, and Devontae Adams had more than Deontay Johnson. He had 139. Juju was right there at 13th with 125. Chase Claypool not too far behind at 28th with 103 targets. And when you consider Claypool was the one getting those kind of downfield looks and even the random, you know, red zone rush attempt. And even by red zone, I mean inside the five yard line, it seemed like half the time he was getting more fantasy friendly looks than Deontay or Juju, just relatively to what they were all doing dealing with so that's life when your quarterback racks up at least 600 pass attempts and there's not really a running back to check the ball down to that you trust in the passing game so We'll focus on Deontay for a second because he joined Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams as the only players with double-digit games of 10-plus targets last year. I mean, it was like one of these things where if you want to really go through his performances, I haven't even taken these liberties yet. But if you want to go through, I mean, this guy's target pace is absolutely absurd because despite, you know, playing 15 games, it was actually closer to 13 because week three, he only played 19 total snaps. And week four, excuse me, week five, he only played six total snaps. Then he had another game against the Bills where he actually was 
believe it or not, dropping some passes. I know that happened uh, on more than a few occasions. Uh, and he was limited to 28 snaps. So three games with fewer than 30 snaps and missed an entire other game, still finished fifth overall in targets. And look, I say it time and time again, people chase volume, not talent. Fantasy football will be better at going at, will be better at finding players because of it. And just don't, you know, fully hold this against Deontay in terms of the drops because can't talk about Deontay Johnson without talking about him putting the ball on the ground. I just don't see the same argument with any other receiver that's ranking towards the top of the league and drops. Jerry Judy dropped, dropped 12, 12 passes. I know Deontay dropped 14. He led the league, but DK Metcalf was there at 10. Calvin Ridley was there at nine. Tyree Kill was there at nine. I don't think it's that big of a stretch other than Judy to say that, you know, Johnson was dealing with the worst quarterback play out of that group. And again, it's just using raw drops as a reason to kind of just put someone down the fantasy football ranks. It doesn't add up. Do not fade people based purely on drops. Cause if you do, you're going to miss out on some serious talents. Like this is the list of players that dropped at least 10 passes in 2012. I just told you who the 2020 qualifiers were Judy, Deontay and Metcalf. Here are the guys in 2012, Jimmy Graham, Wes Walker, Calvin Johnson, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall, Victor Cruz, Randall Cobb, Des Bryant, Demarius Thomas, Stevie Johnson, T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Green, Reggie Wayne, Darren Sproles, and a couple other guys. Like, look, great players drop a lot of passes sometimes because they're great at getting open and they have more opportunities to drop passes. You have someone, and that's like the, you know, knocking on someone like Henry Ruggs. We talk about earning targets as someone that is great and they earn the targets because they're talented. And because of that, we're going to see drops correlate with overall targets. So would it be better if Deontay didn't drop 14 passes every year? Obviously, I'm just saying it's not a reason to necessarily fade the guy because once again, we're looking at someone that with health could be eclipsing 150 targets and we just don't have we literally only have three examples i can tell you the examples we have three examples of receivers getting 150 targets since 2010 and not finishing as a top 24 ppr option so moving on to juju i mean he is just one of the most i know juju has pissed a lot of people off over the years because he looks so good his first two years in the league and now he's you know become just a tiktok star he's dancing on logos before the games generally not you know living up to his preseason standing in the fantasy community I just don't think he's been hundred percent people. And I understand that when you take Antonio Brown out of the offense, it's going to make stuff more difficult for everybody involved. But Juju just doesn't even look like the same player in terms of when he has the ball in his hands, where is that guy taking a short cross against the Patriots, you know, 80 yards down inside the 10 yard line when he was a rookie or whatever. I mean, it's, he, we, aren't, we aren't seeing anything close to that player last year. Okay. Actually over the last two years, 2020 and 2021, Juju has forced eight total missed tackles. He had eight in 2018 alone and nine in 2019. I mean, his average of four yards after the catch per reception in 2020 was the first time in his career he finished below 5.9, even though his role as just, you know, this kind of low dot, supposed to be yak monster was more, you know, confined to that than ever before. So I do tend to think it's injuries. I mean, he had toe, foot, and knee injuries in 2019 and 2020. You know, credit to him for battling through uh, the issue and playing every single game. But we always saw him, you know, on the injury report, usually missing Wednesday practice with the knee issue. Or one of those things where, you know, it was the A.J. Brown effect as well. You know, the artist formerly known as Roto World just send you that same Wednesday notification that your player missed his practice. Everyone freaks out about it, that isn't closely following the news. And then we just see them, you know, usually not even have an injury designation going into the weekend. So maybe I'm, you know, just, just siding too much with Juju and he has been healthy. He just hasn't been playing well either way, whatever the problem has been, it's unfortunate. He hasn't resembled that same guy that looked like he was on the verge of becoming one of the NFL's next great wide receivers as recently as 2018.
Next, we have Chase Claypool, who was really starting to ball out last year, and then he had snaps reduced after a hot start. Apparently, and this is from Mike Tomlin, to help him avoid hitting a rookie wall. Like, the guy was playing great, and Mike Tomlin literally said they took away his snaps to help him avoid hitting a rookie wall. To this day, I have no idea what exactly he was talking about. Either way, Claypool scored 13 times, including the playoffs. I mean, he look, he had big playability, you know, taking, I think that was like 80 yards against the Broncos early on. He can run past you, the red zone dominance. I know coming out of Notre Dame, some people are saying Claypool is a tight end, not a wide receiver. If you were one of those people, that statement better have been followed up by he's going to be one of the best tight ends, you know, that we've seen play the game of football because truly he looked like he belonged and was in, in, a, in a year where Justin Jefferson and, you know, CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Ayuk, whole lot of great rookie receivers just in terms of, you know, watching the week to week dominance when he got his opportunities. I think Claypool is right up there uh, kind of in that second tier behind obviously Jefferson and probably CD at the top. So overall, he joins a list of rookie wide receivers that have managed to find the end zone on 10 separate occasions since 2000, including Odo Beckham, Mike Evans, Tyree Kill, the Tampa Bay version of Mike Williams, and Calvin Ridley. So good group to be in. And before we uh, move on to some of this offensive uh, issues, do not be that guy that says, well, take away Claypool's four-touchdown game against the Eagles, and then what did he do? Stop it. There is one example that I can just uh, – there's a few more examples, but one main example of when we should be taking away a player's big plays. That was when Bilal Powell was playing – for the Jets. He fell down. The entire defense gave up. Nobody touched him and he walked into the end zone after that because everyone thought the play was over. If that happens, okay, we can remove that play. Call it a fluke. But when Claypool is just beasting on fellow professional athletes, no, we can't just take away those plays and say, look at the rest of his game. It's the same thing when Joe people take away on Twitter. I was barking with someone today about Joe Mixon, his points per game. They said, well, the thing is, if you take away his you know 39 points against the Jaguars, he didn't do much else. And if you look at Jonathan Taylor, like you don't have it's people counting certain issues for some players, not doing for other ones. Don't be that guy. If they made the play, we need to include in the analysis. I'm not taking away his negative two yard performance against the Titans because you only have one target that counts just like the four touchdown one does. Please stop taking away players. Good plays if there's not a very good reason to do so. So we get it. Deontay stud. And I, if you've looking at the yards per target, the drops, maybe you don't get it. I'm saying that people watch the film in terms of just his yak ability, even downfield, being able to make those, you know, diving catches. Deontay, in my opinion, is anyone's idea of a great professional wide receiver. I realize Juju hasn't looked the same athletically, maybe a full off season, you know, of good health gets him along the way. And Claypool, again, the historical precedence looks absolutely awesome. It is a little bit up in the air though. What kind of usage you'll see number three or receiver last year in terms of targets and James Washington isn't going anywhere. And that dude, even though he's not going to be a fantasy factor, like this, he should not be drafting James Robinson unless, you know, someone gets hurt before now and uh, between now and the regular season. I mean, I'd say Tim Patrick's probably the only number four wide receiver that we can like confidently put ahead of James Robinson kind of in that league hierarchy. Uh, you know, maybe Gabriel Davis, my guy, Auden Tate, there's a couple other contenders, but I think James Washington is right in there as the best number four wide receiver in the league. I'm not trying to insult the guy by saying that he's their number four receiver. And I think he generally makes the most of his opportunities, even if maybe some fans expected more out of the guy before he was picked in the second round. So 
onto the elephant in the room, the big Ben Roethlisberger issue. He was objectively an average to mediocre quarterback last year, 24th among 44 qualified QBs, PFF passing grade, 22nd QB rating, 25th in big time throw rate, tied for 15th in turnover worthy play rate, tied for 36th in yards per attempt, 25th in adjusted completion rate, all while posting a career low average target depth of just 8.1 yards. So we have big Ben. He was a person last year that was inaccurate and inefficient while regularly refraining from testing defenses downfield. As we saw in the last kind of month and a half of the season, people just stopped respecting uh, the deep game because he wasn't throwing it. Why should they respect that? And I would just say, and I'm not the first one to come to this realization, but they just need to use play action more. It's not even that they need to lean on it as a full-time thing. I get it. Big Ben has come out and said he doesn't like turning his back to the defense. Hey, if your starting quarterback isn't comfortable doing something, you shouldn't, you know, just ask him to do that despite that. With that said, the Steelers had 66 play action attempts last year. Jaguars were second to last. They had 57 more attempts than the Steelers. So it was like Pittsburgh was so far down in the last place. Uh, it, we just can't have that. They, they were so predictable last year. And here's the hoping that, you know, just an off season of realizing what happened turns into a better offense in 2021. I mean, definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I'm coughing at the Steelers who have been anyone's idea of just a fantastic organization really forever. Uh, I don't think they're going to go back to the well and just try to run the same offense that they saw sputtered to a halt at the end of last year. Offensive line remains an issue, you know, 29th at PFL preseason rankings i don't think they're necessarily the sort of like walking train wreck that's going to single-handedly sink the whole offense remember they were bad last season and they still produced three top 24 wide receivers as always focus more on the volume less on the offensive line we're playing fantasy football not building a real life team so with that said takes us to our pff lily stat of the fantasy file episode and this is from my guy matt Harmon over at yahoo sports Always excellent reception perception data. Matt goes through basically every route from these guys and just tracks like not only is the receiver gaining yards, but like is he beating his defender? Is he giving his quarterback an avenue to go with the ball? And last year, Deontay Johnson, 95th percentile success rate versus man coverage and 86th percentile versus press. Like you cannot guard this guy with a single mere mortal on the outside. And I think we're going to see more of that just goodness to come here in 2021. So that takes me to my ranks and I'm going to go with Deontay Johnson as my wide receiver 15. Chase Claypool is my wide receiver 39 and Juju as my wide receiver 40. I think the presence of Najee Harris will force Pittsburgh to try and run the ball more. We'll see how much more effective they are doing it. I would just point out people. It wasn't like they just literally couldn't run the ball the entire, the entirety of last year. They more so chose not to. I mean, I think most people, if they had to say, you know, over under four yards per carry for James Conner, you probably guess under he was sitting there at 4.3 and I'm not saying he was excellent getting those 4.3 yards per carry, but but hey, if Najee is the first round running back talent that they drafted him to be, it would make sense that they lean a little bit more on him, both in the run game and in the pass game. Like That's why I'm down on Juju. I just don't see him getting that same ridiculous dose of targets near line of scrimmage with a high-end passing running back like Najee Harris. I mean, that's his best trait coming out. His catch radius is just really unrivaled among these first-year running backs. So I think we see more of a, you know, Deontay being their version of Antonio Brown, uh, Najee being their version of Le'Veon Bell, and this offense condensed more so around those two guys. Maybe I'm being too low on Claypool. You know, he is going as the wide receiver 30 in ADP. I don't necessarily, you know, I didn't make these rankings anticipating I'd be super low on the guy. I love the talent. I'm just not super convinced that he's going to be featured ahead of guys like Deontay, even Najee. And I think James Washington isn't going to disappear. So Juju's the guy where he's going wide receiver 37 and underdog ADP. 
I have wide receiver 40. That's kind of a good spot to draft him. If you want to bump him up a few spots, I won't disagree with that. He's certainly going far closer to his floor than his ceiling. It might be icky, but again, people, we don't care about style points. If he gets his fantasy points, we'll take them any way they come. So those are the wide receivers. Uh, quick notes in the tight ends. I'm just not interested in them. I was in on Ebron before they drafted Pat Firemouth to replace Vance McDonald. I think we continue to see a two tight end heavy offense in fantasy land. The instances of that happening and working out are just so far and few in between. We had Gronk and Aaron Hernandez back in 2011, each pull off tight end one seasons. Uh, Ertz and Goddard did in 2018. That is literally it. So if you have two tight ends in your offense, you probably don't even have one in terms of fantasy land. Hope you all enjoyed this edition of the PFF fantasy football podcast. If you did, please check out the rest of our podcast network, which covers everything NFL college and fantasy football. You can recap the NFL draft at Mike Renner and Austin Gales, two from one draft podcast, or get all 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. And when you're out there playing best ball, please go to underdog fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF, get a free PFF edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF draft now at underdog fantasy. Last note, everybody, I believe this will be published on a Friday, and that means UFC is on Saturday, 4 p.m. start time. UFC is my second. I know MMA is the actual sport. I'm not going to be too much of a casual here, but UFC is my second favorite product to watch behind the NFL. So if you feel like watching, I'm putting my money on Cyril gone outpointing Alexander Volkov in a probably boring heavyweight fight, but neither of these guys, you know, while they can knock out opponents, they're both just so gifted, kind of kickboxers and working from range. I think it will be kind of boring. I just think gone has a little bit more than Volkov. And also I'm going to go with OSP getting another bomb flu choke over Tanner Bozer in the co-main event. So Cyril gone OSP, go make some money. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. So hope you enjoyed listening to PFF fantasy football podcast, new episodes every single day throughout the summer. And as uh, you know, July gets rolling. I know we've been sticking with a lot of just fantasy files here every day. I want to get back to more 10 questions with some of the fantasy analysts around this, uh, around the industry. I'm very thankful a lot of you savages are like me and want to talk, you know, talk and listen, fantasy football every single day. But I also realize, you know, 96 of these episodes, maybe not everyone has that sort of time to catch up, uh, you know, as the offseason continues to progress. So I'm going to try and bring on the best minds in the industry and we'll do more, you know, like overall QB running back wide receiver uh, type previews. So it can help sum up a lot of the information we've gone over here and hopefully find some even better takeaways. So again, thank you for listening until next time. Take care, everybody. 